between the haves and the have-nots in this country has only grown since the coronavirus reached our shores a little more than a year ago. Welcome back to Not in the Mood. I'm your host, Daryl Moody, and we're going to talk this week about the growing gap and the shrinking middle class. We're going to talk specifically in a few minutes about uh, this country's wealthiest Americans uh, growing their wealth significantly since the onset of the pandemic. And we've talked about this multiple times on Not in the Mood where I talk about how if you were doing okay financially before the coronavirus pandemic hit the U.S., chances are you're doing a little bit better now. You've been able to save money by staying home. Uh, We're about to get our third round of economic stimulus by way of uh, direct payments from the federal government into our checking accounts. That's always nice. Who doesn't love free money? But there are a lot of people out there who are struggling. If you lived paycheck to paycheck before the pandemic reached our shores, chances are you were hurt significantly. And unless you were considered an essential employee, you were either furloughed or lost your job during the lockdowns from a year ago. And while there are millions of Americans struggling financially because of the impacts of this thing, there are people who are better off now. And we're going to talk about class warfare and what this means for us as a society. But when you think about people who've been wiped out by the pandemic, small business owners forced to shutter their business, restaurant owners forced to close with no money coming in. When you think about people who, who live paycheck to paycheck, making minimum wage or somewhere around there, losing their jobs, I mean, I think about the restaurant industry. I think about people waiting tables. I mean, I haven't waited tables in over 10 years, but I don't feel that far removed from that lifestyle. And when I think about folks waiting tables one day, uh, collecting tips on a nightly basis, leaving work with cash in your pocket every day, and then being told you can't come to work because the restaurant's not open because it's not safe. You know, most people in that line of work don't have a lot of savings. They don't have money saved up for the future. They're not, they don't have a rainy day fund. Those folks have been wiped out by the pandemic. And then you look at families where mom and dad both have good jobs with good benefits. Maybe they've got a little bit of money saved up. You know, all of a sudden they're told you got to work from home. Most middle-class families have internet access They have the space in their home where they can set up a workspace and work, and they're able to work from home. And those folks are just rolling along in the pandemic. And yeah, it's stressful and it sucks not being able to go out. It sucks having to teach your kids at home. It sucks. You know, nobody likes video conferences. We're all burned out on video conferences. But most of those folks have been able to save money amid the pandemic. They've essentially grown their wealth in the last year. Those are two very different experiences of the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 and 2021. And I think back to all of the conversations I've had as a reporter talking to different nonprofit organizations trying to meet community needs. I think about my friend Stephanie Bowman with One Heart for Women and Children. Uh, She runs a nonprofit here in Orlando. And before the pandemic hit, she ran a food pantry where... Folks would come and get bags of food that was donated, and it was, you know, another community outreach for her nonprofit. The need that she has seen in the last year, they are doing mass feedings 
uh, once a month now. They go to the the Camping World Stadium and they set up outside of Camping World Stadium and have these massive, uh, they call them mobile food drops now, where hundreds of people show up needing food and they've got, you know, 40, 50,000 pounds of food that they're giving away. And the need that, that, that she tells me about is just amazing. I mean, I know we're feeling it a little bit more because Orlando is such a tourism-based economy and tourism has been hit so hard by all this. We've got a lot of people that work in that business who have been wiped out and they're hurting. And, you know, we see on a daily basis that need and it's significant. And at the same time, you've got the country's wealthiest people growing their wealth at a much faster pace than folks are being wiped out, essentially. And you've got the shrinking middle class that politicians love to talk about. That middle class is getting smaller and smaller by the day. And I would argue that years from now, we will talk about the pandemic's impact on our society as growing that gap between the haves and the have-nots. But of course, I am but a lowly reporter, and I can't speak to this stuff. So I found an expert. His name's Chuck Collins. He's the director of the Program on Inequality at the Institute for Policy Studies. They're calling attention to the wealth that has been grown by the 664 billionaires that call the United States home. He's going to talk to us about that. But first, I wanted to ask Chuck about the Institute for Policy Studies and what they do. Well, uh, we have been looking at issues of economic inequality. We're a research and policy uh, think tank. Um, And in the last year, really during the pandemic, we've been looking at uh, what's happened to billionaire wealth and and what's happening to everyone else. But that powerful uh, gap that seems to be growing and worsening between the sort of billionaires and everyone else in the society. Uh, and inequality.org is a is a web portal that uh, has commentary and analysis and a weekly newsletter if people are interested in learning more about issues of inequality. And you guys are out with some uh, interesting uh, statistics, if you will, about the country's 664 billionaires and how much their net wealth has grown since the start of the pandemic. So what did you guys find out? Well, we we uh, we looked at just in the in the eleven months since the uh, the lockdown and the and the official beginning of sort of the unemployment and Federal Reserve actions. We 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 found that U.S. billionaires have seen their wealth go up one point three trillion dollars uh, over those eleven months, and that their wealth uh, cumulative wealth is now over four point two trillion dollars. Uh, and and just for perspective. All the households in the bottom half of the United States, if you were to combine their wealth, have $2.4 trillion. So, you know, 665 billionaires have more wealth, way more wealth than the bottom half of all U.S. households combined. And how did we get here? Well, part of it is that uh, the, the, the billionaires are uh, the, the kind of the economy is wired to funnel wealth to the top at this point. So we we. We went into the pandemic as an extremely unequal society, and I think the pandemic is kind of supercharging or worsening uh, those existing inequalities. And if you look at where the biggest fortunes are surging, 
they are billionaires who have sort of cornered or captured a piece of the market and have been able to extract windfalls from the sort of unusual pandemic conditions. Uh, you know, so they've they, they've been able to kind of maintain monopolies while other parts of the economy have closed down. And I think the first example that comes to mind for folks is Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. Uh, so many of us are relying on Amazon day to day to get our daily needs met uh, as far as getting things brought to the house and, and avoiding going to stores and that sort of thing. Uh, is this really just the, the free market kind of doing what the free market does? Or is there a real way to address this inequality and kind of uh, shrink that gap between the haves and the have nots? Well, I think all of us are appreciative that we have this online real t- retail sector that we didn't have, you know, 20 years ago, um, and, uh, it, and that we we're able to order things and meet meet needs uh, and stay sequestered if we need to be. Uh, but in this case, it isn't just the free market. It's sort of the free market plus a monopoly. I mean, Amazon and a number of other uh, businesses have had their main street competition effectively shut down. Uh, so they're operating in a kind of artificial monopoly. And uh, I think what happens is in, in a situation where there's like a, a a huge windfall profit during a pandemic or a time of war, uh, what good societies do is they say, well, maybe a portion of that uh, should be taxed and invested in things that help people uh, survive the pandemic. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I think what we see is what uh, is sort of a form of what I could call prom- pandemic profiteering. Uh, the the biggest fortunes, uh, the the trillion dollar run up, is when companies basically dominate. Whether they're online cloud based services, big pharma researching drugs, uh, tele telecommunications or Zoom technologies, that kind of thing. Those are all companies that are reaping windfalls from an artificial and unfortunate circumstance, which is this pandemic. And in America, we've had this uh, you know, push in recent years to shop small, support small businesses. As consumers, what can we do to offset this? Well, I think it is, uh, you know, I, I try to steer as much of my spending to the real local economy, uh, the small businesses that are most uh, threatened right now during the pandemic, when they do have uh, pick up and drop off services where you can order takeout. Uh, you know, there might be inevitable situations where you have to turn to a national online retailer. But, you know, a lot of the local economies are opening up now. And we're, I'm really worried that the future will be more monopolies, more big mega monopolies, if we keep the same consumer habits that we had during the pandemic. So as the economy opens up again, let's lift up our independent local business sector as much as we can. So with respect to tax policy, is there a way to tax these windfall profits that these 664 billionaires have seen in the last 11 months? Is there a way to kind of get some of that money back and perhaps pay off what we've borrowed in terms of the uh, coronavirus economic stimulus packages that we've passed? I know we're, you know, we're adding to the national debt every single second. Uh, is there a way to recoup some of this? Yeah, I think, Daryl, that is the question of the moment. And I think there are some ways to do it. Um, you know, and, and, and the United States is not the only country trying to figure us, figure this out. Uh, you know, the United Kingdom, England is trying to figure that out. They have created a commission to look at a national wealth tax. Uh, Argentina, Bolivia, lots of other countries, and even some states, Washington State, um, California, are looking at uh, taxing billionaires at this moment. Uh, one proposal is a one-time 
kind of windfall billionaire pandemic tax, you know, uh, taxing away a portion of that $1.3 trillion in gains. You know, these folks are still going to be really wealthy. They're going to have way more money than they did a year ago still, but maybe a portion of that should be taxed and invested in healthcare or COVID recovery. Um, uh, Next week, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren is going to introduce her wealth tax proposal again. This is a wildly popular proposal among every political group. Uh, It's targeted to people with wealth over 50 million, uh, a modest annual wealth tax. That would raise, you know, almost $4 trillion over the next decade. That would help offset some of this deficit spending. Uh, And then just, uh, you know, maintaining a healthy inheritance tax or, a uh, you know, an annual, I mean, sorry, an end-of-life inheritance tax. That would help slow this buildup of concentrated wealth and power. So those are a couple of things that are very much in the debate, as well as just how do you enforce a tax system where billionaires hire all these professionals to help them hide their money. Uh, We have to kind of shine light on that and close down this hidden wealth apparatus, if you will, that enables billionaires to shift their money around the planet without responsibility. Now, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Uh, And there certainly are politicians who have made a living on, on waging class warfare, uh, how can we have this discussion and talk about things like taxing the wealthy without that feeding into the class warfare that we already have in this country? Well, one way is to realize that uh, actually a lot of very wealthy people, uh, a whole network called the Patriotic Millionaires, support these proposals. These are, you know, wealthy individuals. They have understood, they have received, they've received a lucky windfall. They were just standing in the right place at the right time. And uh, and and they understand that we're pulling apart as a society, that that too extreme of a level of inequality is bad for everybody, including the wealthy. It just tears away at our sort of national unity and social fabric. So believe it or not, there are a lot of very high net worth people who believe we should uh, have a much more progressive tax system than we do now. And they're publicly speaking out. And I think it's I think it's important to say let's celebrate people who are job creators and wealth creators, but also understand that we as a society do help create the conditions that make that wealth possible. Uh, no one does it alone, uh, and that's what uh, whether it's Bill Gates or a lot of other billionaires will tell you uh, that that they have benefited from this amazing economy and public infrastructure and investments that we all make together as taxpayers. So I think we shouldn't we shouldn't fall into the class warfare mentality. Uh, we should understand that what good societies do is slow that that democracy distorting concentration of wealth, and that that's not in anyone's interest to keep going down this road. Well, Chuck, you've certainly given us uh, good food for thought. Is there is there a closing thought you'd like to leave us with? Anything else you want folks to uh, keep in mind? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, just just to reflect on the bigger picture, uh, you know, half a million people have lost their lives. Twenty five million people have have faced covid infections. Um, You know, we 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 know that the most vulnerable workers in the workforce, the frontline essential workers are often the most underpaid, most vulnerable, least likely to have health care. we have we are kind of at an important point. We can decide if we're going to keep pulling apart as a society and and move toward kind of a, like a 
a monarchic, oligarchic society with the super rich controlling everything, or we're going to pull back together. And, uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, these inequalities have really undermined our sense of we're in this together, the solidarity we need to get through this together. And uh, I know a lot of wealthy people who also feel that way. So it's really in all of our interest to not pull apart and to become kind of an economic apartheid society. And, and uh, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to all be equal. It doesn't mean we're going to tax away everybody's wealth. We're, you know, it's not going to mean we're going to become a socialist country. It's going to mean we're going to be a less unequal society. And that's a good thing. Well, I think it's going to be years before we see the historical and societal impacts of the pandemic on America. But this is something that we're certainly watching in real time. Chuck, I appreciate your your expertise and your perspective on all this. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having the conversation. It's so important. Appreciate it. You know, and these are the conversations that we need to have as we work through this pandemic and we emerge from it and the world kind of returns to normal, at least uh, what the new normal will be. Uh, I hope that you are doing your part as a consumer to support small businesses whenever possible. I know Amazon has certainly made life easier for a lot of people, but we all need to do our part as consumers in our respective communities to support the small businesses around us to make sure that they survive this pandemic as well. 